Hey, I'm Stephen Hovatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10, 15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. Now, don't get too comfortable just yet, because I am going to ask you to stand up in a second, um, but differently than what we might normally. So today is Stand Sunday, and what that means is it's a day when churches across the country are taking time to be attentive to um, all the different families and children in our communities uh, that are somewhere in the field or in the world of foster and adoptive care. And it's really hard to talk about that because every story is different. So it's hard to speak in broad brushes about what that means for people. Except for to say... There are, we, we know, we, we are convicted that all over the world, all over the country, and all over our city, there are children who are confronted with the brokenness of the world in ways that can be very, very painful and inflict a lot of suffering. And... Some of us, in very specific ways, are called by God to find ways to help intervene and to give what we can to be of service to those who are suffering in those ways. And that means a lot of different things in our, in our world. Some of us um, maybe are devoted to the work of foster care or maybe called to adoption. Some of us are called to volunteer with CASA and some organizations like that that provide uh, advocacy in certain kinds of forms. Some of us are meant to just, you know, it may not be your thing to, you know, you not, may not be in a position where having a child in your home is, uh, is a, a good thing for you right now or for it w wouldn't be the thing that you're called to. But you can be supportive in providing help to people who are in that space. I'll tell you, when we first got into it, we, had, we were very quickly felt like we had gotten thrown into a swimming pool with lead boots on, okay? And we needed help. And people in our community that kind of rallied around us to help us with that, it was just invaluable uh, to Kelly and I. It was about 14 years ago last week. Um, November 6th is the day that Micah and Izzy uh, invaded our home. That is the right word, I think. <laughs> when they came to uh, live with us, um, we had no idea what we were getting into, but honestly, we felt moved by God. And we felt like we, I'll tell you, probably the definitive time for us came when we had a moment where we we had been confronted with the vast needs uh, and Kelly and I had one of those conversations where we just kind of looked at each other and said, of course we don't feel 
if not us, who? And that question, we couldn't get away from it. And so eventually we had to say, all right, we're going to go for it. We're going to dive in. We're going to do the six months of training and background checks. We're going to, um, you know, move everything dangerous out of our house, which was everything. You know, and, and sure enough, eventually on a November night, uh, they, they came. And, um, and then the next week, everything that was still precious in our home was on our mantle because our house wasn't as childproofed as we thought it was. And it has been a journey. It's been, um, it's, we've had all kinds of ups and downs, and it's, but it's also been uh, an incredible, incredible rich blessing in my life. I love my girls so much. And um, I'm so grateful for what God has uh, given me as a part of that. There are a lot of kids in our world that, that need somebody. And so today is a day that we mark that and we think about it. We want to hold it up. I know that central, I know, I, you know, talk about preaching to the choir. Of course, in Church of Christ, we're all choir, so... Um, I know that this church has it in its DNA to be attentive to this stuff. And that was one of the reasons that we felt like it was so natural for us to come and be here. If you would stand with me and let's stand together with the people across the country who today in their churches are having a moment just like this uh, to give attention to standing with those who are in need of care. And let's pray together. Oh God, who is the father of us all. For those children and families who are at these places where they need special attention and care and intervention, we stand with them and cry out to you, oh God, give relief and give aid. God, for those who are in the processes of trying to be supported, supportive in different ways, strength and perseverance, Father, so that what you are at work doing through them may be done out of full love and courage and trust and faith. God, we long for the day when all that is broken will be made right. And Father, we pray that we will stand in the gap and we'll do what we can to be people of love and encouragement and help uh, those who are in need of a place of safety. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Have a seat. And thinking about what it means to be people who are living out a story in the world. A story that, of course, has its culmination in the coming of Jesus into the world. For that, in which 
he continues to go after uh, that, that part of the story. And so we've looked at these, we looked at nine steps before, and this is our 10th week. So we've already come through creation and corruption and kingdom and exile, the appearing of the Messiah, the coming of the Spirit into the world, the sin of the church out into the world. But the story is not done. And that has to be something that we need to own as a people, that we are living out a story that is not yet completed. And I'm so glad it's not yet completed. Because what's happened so far is not enough to be the full gospel. What we've already seen and heard and experienced is not yet enough because there is still so much brokenness in the world, right? But may God be praised because his story is not yet done. Because the story will not be completed until Jesus returns. Hey, turn with me into the book of Acts. I want to show you there's this little piece of the story that I think is so important. In Acts chapter 1, we have Jesus, Acts begins with Jesus uh, bodily present with his disciples. The risen Christ is there. And uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He's been spending time with his disciples, uh, giving testimony to them. And there comes a point where Jesus is with his disciples and he gives them instructions before he leaves. They ask him a question. They say, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? We're in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. And he replied, because Jesus is a master at dodging questions. He says, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight while he was going and they were gazing up to heaven. Uh, while he was going, Jesus, I don't know how fast this whole thing worked. I don't know how quick the cloud elevator was set. All right. There are Two men in white robes standing by them. Suddenly, it says. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? Now, I want to tell you, I would have liked to have heard the disciples answer to that question. <laughs> why are you standing here? Why are you standing here looking up in the sky? They say almost innocently, like passerbyers. Hey, what's going on up there? Right? Like you do when you come up to a crowd of people that are looking at something and they're all trying to say, well, you come up and you say, well, what's going on here? And these two creatures, um, angelic perhaps, they say it's just two men. They come up to him and they say, why are you standing here looking up at heaven? And then without allowing any time for an answer to the question to my great chagrin, they say this, and this is the part that's on the screen here. Jesus, this Jesus, 
whom has been taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you've seen him go into heaven. My friends, that changes the story. All of those other nine parts of the story that we've met so far, they find a very important meaning in this reality. Why are you standing there looking into heaven? Don't you know that that Jesus that just was taken up into a heaven, don't you know that he will come back? When I was growing up in the church, perhaps there was a little bit too much negligence shown on what it meant for us to be uh, people who realize the blessings of Jesus' presence with us in the Holy Spirit, that realize now what it means to be people who are already been made children of God, something that we call uh, the, the realize, the already uh, blessings uh, that come in Jesus. There's maybe too little talk about what it means, what it meant to be people who right now were experiencing the kingdom of God in reality. But my brothers and sisters, now there is too little talk about what is yet to come. Because the story is not finished. And every once in a while, we still ought to be caught with our eyes up to heaven, waiting to see what's coming. The New Testament gives a lot of ink towards not just that Jesus will come back, but what will happen when he comes back. It's a question worth thinking about. I wonder if we just had like a long sit down and a cup of coffee you know, what it is that you would tell me, if I asked you, what do you expect when Jesus comes back? How would you answer that question, I wonder? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of different ways of answering that question. There are lots of different things. And you know what? Our answer to that question may very well change at different seasons in our life. Or it may change in different seasons of the whole church's life where we find that there are certain things that we are called to long for with a little bit more urgency at some times than others. I want to offer, uh, you know, and, and this is like the most preacherly sermon I don't know that I've, I've, I've ever got. I have kind of a rule of thumb. I try to resist alliteration. And I think if somebody tells you like, you know, the 12 things that are important about relationships and they happen to spell out the word relationships, then you should be suspicious about that. Okay. That's a universal rule that I try to avoid. Uh, but I've got three R words for you today. And these words are not the whole in the sum of our expectation when the Lord returns. I don't even know if it's possible to explore that fully. But they are big rocks, okay? They are big categories of things that I think we have to 
understand about Jesus' return. The first one is that when Jesus returns, it's going to be a revelation. That doesn't intend to, I'm not intended to talk about the book here. Okay, that's a whole different series. But when Jesus returns, it will be a revelation. It will be the taking off of, a, of, a, of the, whole, the mask of the whole world. And we will see clearly things that we have not been able to see clearly until that moment. Not just us, not just we who are the church, but in truth, the whole of the, 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 the world and the whole, I think the whole of the cosmos will perceive and realize things that have yet not been shown. The coming, the return of Jesus is going to be a revelation. Jesus himself talks about this often, talks about how things that are hidden or secret are going to be revealed and made known and brought out into the open. Jesus himself has to say that, hey, things that you don't quite understand now will be made known at some other point. There will come a day of great revelation. And the scriptures speak about this in all kinds of ways. In fact, it's one of the shorthand phrases that the New Testament authors use to talk about the day that's coming. They say things like, First Peter says, on the day that he is revealed. Okay? Or uh, Paul says things like that. There are lots of places where they speak about on the day that Jesus is revealed. In the book of 1 John, there's this little section in chapter 3 at the beginning of 1 John 3. John there writes, see what love the Father has given us that we shall be called the children of God. And that is what we are. That's what we are right now. We have an identity as the children of God. And then he goes on to say this. The reason that the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed but what we do know is this when he is revealed we will be like him for we will see him as he is and you notice how that works both ways right when we see him as he is we will all of a sudden see ourselves differently too, right? And I think that works for the entirety of everything that is, that when Jesus is revealed, we will see everything differently. How could it be otherwise, right? There are truths that we know and there are mysteries that we do not yet understand. And I look forward. We look forward. Creation looks forward. To when that is all revealed. The questions are important. But man... I'm looking forward to the day of the answers. And some of those answers may be like questions that the disciples asked Jesus. It may be like, hey, by the way, your question disappears in the blink of an eye because the truth of the world is now revealed, right? 
I think there will be a lot of stuff like that. I think there will be questions that we haven't even thought to ask that will all of a sudden be the most important ones. What I do believe, though, is that there will be a day of revelation when everything that is hidden is made known. Not only will it be a day of revelation, though, okay, but it will also be a day of reckoning. When the New Testament talks about Jesus, especially in the book of Acts, when the apostles go out into the world and they share the word of who Jesus is in the world, they pretty consistently, a lot more often than you might think they do, will point to the fact that Jesus has been appointed as the judge. Now, I, I know it, it may not seem like that's a really in vogue thing to say, um, but I think we need to own that we expect for Jesus to return someday, and when he comes back, he is going to judge the living and the dead. Look, I, I, I'm, I believe in grace. I believe that there is no condemnation uh, for those that love God, right, or are called according to his purpose. But I also believe that there is going to be a day of giving an account to God. And how dare we forget it? Look in um, Acts chapter 10 with me. It's one of my favorite gospel sermons. It's when uh, Peter has made his way to the house of Cornelius and he's sharing with Cornelius what it, what it means, uh, what, what this whole story of Jesus means. And he gives uh, Cornelius and his household that's gathered there a pretty incredible summary of the story of Jesus. So we're in Acts chapter 10. And we're going to pick up, let's see, I think about verse 34. Peter began to speak to them. I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Okay, so Cornelius, the Gentile, remember this is Peter has been dragged, kicking and screaming to go to a Gentile's house. He's sharing with him this story. And, and, and Peter says, oh, I, I can't, now I understand that this gospel message is for everyone. Not just, not just for the Jews. And he says this in verse 36. You know the message he sent to the people of Israel pre preaching peace by Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That message spread throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John announced. What God, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. How he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. We are witnesses to all that he did, both in Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and allowed him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who are chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. That's a lot of gospel, isn't it? Peter goes on. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one ordained by God as judge of the living and the dead. Paul even speaks about 
the judgment as being part of his gospel. Now, not condemnation, but of judgment. Sometimes I think our, I think that the desire to put away the judgment of God and to not think about it, I think it's a, I think it's kind of a sign of power and privilege, to be honest with you. I find that people who are doing really well in this world are kind of okay with there not being a judgment. It's people that have suffered great wrong. People who have had the bad end of the stick. People who have been in a place where they've undergone suffering at the hands of somebody else. They're the ones that tend to be able to cry out and say, Oh God, how long? How long? When Jesus returns, there's going to be a reckoning. There's going to be a day where we, not just as individuals, but where humanity, where the nations will have to stand before God and give an account for what we have done with life. Now, the mystery of how that happens and how the grace of Jesus welcomes us into his life in that moment, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, I think it's a misunderstanding of the gospel to see the grace of Jesus as something like a, oh, that judgment thing, never mind. Paul himself talks about how he, we will have to stand and to give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Did Paul believe in grace? You bet. But he also believed in a reckoning. I believe that on the last day that Jesus will welcome me into the new heavens, into new, into new life, that Jesus will welcome me into a full communion with him in, an, in you know, a way that I long for. But I also believe that there will come a time where I will look Jesus in the eye and I will have to stand and give an answer for everything I've done and everything I am. Our belief in grace is not permission to not believe in judgment. Jesus, the apostle said, Jesus is the one ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. And if that's not part of our gospel, then we're missing something. Then we're missing something. Not only will there be a revelation and a reckoning, though, I very much believe that there will also be a restoration. Jesus, when he returns, will make all things right. Revelation has Jesus, the Lord Jesus, saying, Behold, I make all things new. 
Um, in Acts, it's said a little bit differently. If in, in Acts chapter three, there's this moment where um, Peter and John have gone and they've healed somebody at the temple. They've healed a lame man and this crowd gathers and they have this moment, this opportunity to speak about who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And they talk about how Jesus has freshly been killed by the people in charge. And in Acts chapter three, verse 17 and following, they say this, and now friends, I, Peter says this, I know that you acted in ignorance as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent therefore and turn to God that your sins may be wiped out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Messiah appointed for you. That is Jesus who must retain, remain in heaven. And listen to this phrase. Until the time of universal restoration that God announced long ago through his holy prophets. Until the time that God restores all things. And I believe in this. It's part of the way that I understand the gospel. That God in that whole long story. And if you remember way back in the very beginning. What was, what was the first moment of, of the story that we talked about? What is it? What is it about? We're going to start back at the top. Y'all don't can't answer these. Okay. All right. What is it? Creation. Why, why did God create the world? Because God loves life and because God intends to share life and he intends to have a, cre a, a creation that he is fully invested in. Right. And God hasn't given up on that. And at the end of the story, we come back to the beginning of the story. We come back to creation and what has been broken will be made right. And God will restore what is made in the world. He will recreate it. And I would have used recreation, but that just word just means something different in our world. Doesn't seem to have the whole sort of thing, right? But there will be a time when God recreates when there will be a new heaven, a new earth, and what has been shattered will be repaired. Where those who have been lost will be found and those who are broken will be made right. And I think all of these three things go together, right? The reckoning and the restoration are part of the revelation. The reckoning that happens is necessary for there to be a full restoration. There's no restoration of creation while sin is just allowed to roam free, right? Jesus is going to return. And when he returns, it will be a day of revelation. It will be a day of reckoning. And at the end, it will be a day of restoration. I believe this. I believe it even though it makes me look I'm like I'm lost on a street corner looking up at the sky. Because I'm waiting for something. I'm still waiting. I think part of our discipline as the church, and Jesus speaks about this often, is we need to learn how to keep watch. We need to learn how to keep a little bit of oil still in the lamp, right? And pay attention, not just to what is all around us, but pay attention to what is yet to come. 
pay attention to the thing that's supposed to be a part of who we are, which is that we are the people who are longing and waiting for the moment at the end. I think we have to lean into longing. In our world, longing is almost a negative emotion, isn't it? It's something that we try to avoid. You know, waiting. A waiting room. Who wants to go to a waiting room? A room where you wait. That sounds terrible. But I want you to think about it for a second, right? In our day, we don't really wait very much because we go into the place where we are waiting and what do we do? Scroll, 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 scroll. Maybe send an email. You know, do something to pass the time, right? When was the last time you really waited for something? Now, I don't mean you, something was going to happen and you, you, had to, like, you had to pass some time and you were able to distract yourself. When was the last time that you went somewhere and were like, I'm not going to do anything, but I'm going to sit here and wait. You know what the difference between sitting and waiting is? It's attention. It's your attention on what is not come yet, right? You can sit in that waiting room and not be waiting. You can just be sitting and scrolling and playing and working or whatever, right? When I'm waiting, I'm sitting there and I'm thoughtful. I'm tapping my foot. And I'm attentive to what hasn't happened yet. Listen, some of y'all need to practice the spiritual discipline of going and getting your driver's license renewed, you know? And not taking your phone. And just sitting there. And waiting. It's such a foreign discipline to us. We have done everything that we can to eliminate waiting from our lives. And oh, church, we have done everything that we can to eliminate waiting from our theology. It's all about what happens now. And we've lost attention on what is yet to come. So I think we need ways to recover that. I think we need ways to recover the discipline of waiting, to recover the discipline of longing, of leaning into longing, reminding ourselves we're still standing and waiting and looking at the sky and waiting for him to come back. November and December, end of November into December, um, there's a historic practice that the church has long had. Um, it may be foreign to some of us in our movement, but you hear people talk about the practice of Advent, okay? Advent is, is this fancy word meaning the coming of Jesus, okay? And the church long, long ago recognized, hey, there should be a time where this waiting thing, this longing thing, it needs to be something that we focus on. Like we need to have moments where we pay attention to the fact that we're still waiting for Jesus to return. 
And so the church kind of developed this season, and it's, you know, it's a pretty convenient one because who waits more eagerly and attentive than a kid before Christmas, right? I mean, you remember that feeling of like counting down the days, okay? And there's been a practice in churches of making that time, that time of the season of Advent, of making it a time where we just remember that we're waiting for something. We're longing for something. That we're still counting the days. So this November, and last week of November, and then into December, we're going to spend some time. Listen, I know every one of these 10 steps could have been something that we could have done a whole year on, okay? But we're going to take that month. This is kind of the last of this series, okay? We're going to move into the end of November, into December. We're going to sit in this number 10 for a minute, okay? And we're going to just spend some time remembering that at our core, we are a waiting people. A people who still long for Jesus to come and to finish his work. Amen? Stand with me and let's pray and then we're going to sing. Oh, Jesus, you who are the word of the Father, who have revealed God to us in ways that we could never have seen except by your work. Oh, Jesus, you who is appointed as the judge of the living and the dead, the one to whom we must give an account. And Jesus, you, you who will restore and recreate all things, you who are about your work of making all things new, who have already begun that work within us and who will bring it to completion. To you, oh Jesus, we say that we long for your return. We wait for you with eager anticipation. Forgive us for our, our sleepy eyes sometimes. Remind us of the charge that you gave your disciples to stay awake. And may we say with them and with every saint from history, come Lord Jesus. We eagerly anticipate sitting with you at your table at the end of all things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.